Transfiguration. Transfiguration Sunday is a bit of a funny Sunday. It doesn't have all of the gravitas of a Christmas or an Easter Sunday, but it's still pegged on the calendar. It's still one of those Sundays where most churches choose to focus on a specific story, on a specific Bible passage, this moment on the mountaintop, this miraculous transfiguration. I was with a bunch of Presbyterian pastors this week. On uh, Thursday, we got together for lunch, and nobody was looking forward to preaching this one this Sunday. Because what do you say about the transfiguration? It's just it's this sort of baffling event that 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 seems to to come out of nowhere, shine down a spotlight, and then go nowhere in particular. Transfiguration can be a hard one to parse. But it helps to make sense out of it if you look at where it happens in the gospel narrative, particularly since it shows up in three gospels, the synoptics, the ones that usually agree with each other, Matthew, Mark and Luke. And it shows up narratively more or less in the same place in all three. Right toward the end of the middle or right toward the beginning of the end, right as all the pieces are fitting together and people are starting to figure out what's going on. When did Jesus know that he was going to go into Jerusalem, go into the lion's den and confront his enemies? Because, oh yes, Jesus had plenty of enemies. Romans and wealthy Judeans, skeptical villagers, puritanical Pharisees. He loved them all, but he had loads of enemies. When did Jesus know that he was going to lose his life in the fight for God's kingdom? It's hard to know for sure. Ancient Christians liked to argue about when Jesus became the Messiah. In fact, some ancient Christians even argued about if Jesus was the Messiah. You hear Paul talking about those who deny that Jesus is the Christ, right? So apparently those people were showing up on Sunday mornings. But then, even for those who accepted Jesus is the Messiah, there was this argument among some among folks about when he became the Messiah or even became the Son of God. A lot of people were talking about the crucifixion as being the key moment that that was when Jesus was raised up, was lifted up, or the resurrection. Or Jesus' baptism, when the dove comes down and says, this is my son. Or Jesus' birth, or Jesus' conception. Or my personal favorite is the way the Gospel of John resolves this controversy and says, okay, you guys can quit arguing about this, because Jesus has been with God since the dawn of time, since the beginning of creation. A nice, tidy solution the Gospel of John offers, but then it just asks the question, when did Jesus find out that he was the Messiah? Because, of course, Jesus the baby, who we celebrate in Epiphany, being recognized by the global leaders, by the Magi from the East, Jesus whose Advent on the world stage is heralded by a star in the sky. Jesus is a newborn. What does Jesus know about it? 
The Day the Revolution Began is the title of an excellent book that I have only barely skimmed the table of contents of by N.T. Wright, who, believe, who talks about reframing the crucifixion, not just as a moment where atonement for sin is made, but as a moment that inaugurates a revolution that calls a whole people to be a royal priesthood for the healing of the world, which just goes to show you can be an Anglican bishop and an Anabaptist at the same time. When do you feel like the revolution began? Because when I first read that title, The Day the Revolution Began, and heard that he was talking about the crucifixion, I, being a practiced Anabaptist, am sitting there saying, well, wait, 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 what about Jesus' whole public career? Where he's out rallying the revolution. Where he's out ginning up support and he's out sending his disciples into the villages to preach healing, unity, a new kingdom. I mean, every time Jesus talks about the coming kingdom of heavens, shouldn't we say that, you know, the revolution is on its way? When do you think the revolution began? We can get tied up in knots over this when we say things like, when did Jesus become the Son of God? Whoa, that's polemical. and I, don't want, I, I really like John's solution to that one. Dawn of time. When did Jesus become Messiah? Ah, but when you I put it in more concrete terms, when did Jesus decide, now we're going to go into Jerusalem, now we're going to cleanse the temple, now we're going to face our many deadly enemies. Now the Son of Man will be called to die. It is right around this time of the transfiguration. The Gospels put all kinds of different stories in different places. The Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, this encounter with someone who needed healing, that encounter with a demoniac. The order of events isn't the same, which is what you would expect, actually, from two different eyewitnesses telling the history of someone's life, that they might get some things in a different order. The transfiguration occurs in a different order in terms of exactly what's next to it in the different Gospels. But here's what's consistent. Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist, heralded as a grand new arrival in this movement, this revival movement that is both religious and apparently threateningly political. John the Baptist has been captured and killed. Then, Jesus is asking his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And for the first time in the Gospel of Matthew, somebody drops the M word. The Gospel of Matthew has been calling Jesus Messiah all the way through from the birth story. But that's in the narrator's voice. The first time any character says the word Christ, the word Messiah, the word anointed one comes right before the story of the transfiguration. And it's incredible to see this series of verses that we split up actually strung together. Because Peter says, you are the Messiah. Jesus says, don't say that too much. Keep a lid on that. Don't go spreading that around. 
by the way, the Son of Man will have to die. And Jesus says, no, no, and Peter says, no, 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 don't do that. And Jesus says, get ye behind me, Satan. The verse where Jesus gives Peter the keys to the kingdom because Peter's such a bright cookie and has recognized that he's the Messiah, and the verse where Jesus calls Peter Satan are like three verses apart from each other. <laughs> and then they retreat to the mountain. Six days later, and on the seventh day, the cloud comes and the glory. Retreating to the mountain is a long, has a long and gloried and storied tradition among the Hebrews. Moses, but even before that, Abraham. And it seems like every prophet after Moses at some point retreats to the mountain for perspective, for peace of mind, for clarity, that is of utmost disturbance. I don't think the Gospel of Matthew mentions six days later by accident that six days after this conversation about Messiah, about death, they go up on the mountain. Because to me, that six days later is echoing on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses out of the cloud, like we read from Exodus today. Echoing, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done from Genesis 1. The seventh day represents completion, creation, the forming of the very foundations of the earth. In Genesis, the very foundations of the covenant with Israel in Exodus, the very foundation of the future. In Matthew. Here, Matthew introduces us to Moses and Elijah and the voice of God from the cloud, all of which speak to the most fundamental formative stories of what Israel is, what Israel is supposed to be. Speaking with total clarity, this one's ours. Or in the voice of God, this is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus never calls himself Messiah in the Gospel of Matthew. Never uses that word to describe himself. Later on, when he's being questioned by the high priest, and one of the charges is that he claims to be the Messiah, the high priest says, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus replies, you have said so. Here we have Jesus characteristically tight-lipped about himself, characteristically humble. But still, after this voice echoes from the cloud, taking on effortlessly, inevitably, the authority that it has given him, going among his disciples and touching them, laying his hand on each one and saying, get up and do not be afraid. I don't know what the transfiguration meant, what it changed in every regard, but I do know 
that it was a moment, a pivotal moment for Jesus' disciples, and I dare say perhaps for Jesus himself, who, if you believe, was just God pretending to be a human being, marching around, but all-knowing all the time, First of all, you'd have to contradict some of Jesus' own words, where he often says that he does not know certain things. The moment in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is saying, take this cup away from me, but if it is your will, Lord, I will drink it. Jesus was human and God. But that meant that Jesus didn't always know everything all the time, and I think that the moment of the transfiguration on the mountaintop was as significant for him, for his decision to embrace the word Messiah, embrace the bloody death that word would probably bring him, embrace his call to Jerusalem to confront the powers of the world and to lift up his downtrodden people. I think this moment of the transfiguration is pivotal. Now the show is on the road. Now is go time. Talk about a confidence booster. There's no hype man like God. Imagine if you were on a hike with your friends up on the top of a mountain and that voice comes booming out. This is my child in whom my the beloved in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's like, wow, what do you what do you do with that? Let's build some shrines up here for you, you know, for you and your spiritual friends. And let's set up your mountaintop guru business. Or imagine walking into a job interview and the room fills with smoke and you hear that voice boom out. Or a date. Imagine. No, seriously, imagine it. Because in case you've never heard it before, that Jesus who was shining and bright who went down from the mountain and died in Jerusalem, has been lifted up and lives again and is in you. So in case you hadn't heard it before, these words of God on the mountaintop to the transfigured Christ are indeed words spoken to you. About you. This is my child, the Beloved in whom I am well pleased. Listen to them. That's a lot to swallow. That's a lot to deal with. It implies such strength and empowerment and goodness and such peril and risk Because if you take up that word, if you pay attention to the corner of yourself that is Christ, that is Messiah, the part of you that has been redeemed and held dearly, if you actually let that peace run the show, you might end up in Jerusalem. You might end up at the wrong end of a mob. So you can't rush this. You rush the miracle man, you get rotten miracles. It took six days 
for Moses to hear the law. Six days for God to create the world. Six days for Jesus to come to the clarity of this moment of the transfiguration. Clarity felt as real as day by him and his followers. You need clarity on how much you are loved, how much you are empowered, how much you need to be listened to. Go up on a mountain for six days. It's expensive these days. It's hard to find that kind of time off. Maybe it didn't take you a whole week. I don't know. Maybe you're a faster learner than the disciples. But if we do that, I think if we literally walk up to a high place and take the time to listen to God, to let the perspective of height that lets us see far in the world work its way into our heads so that we get perspective of the heart as well. The ability to see far into the minds of other people, into the changing patterns of this world, the significance of who you are and who is around you and what you are capable of doing. You let that perspective soak in for six days, six hours, even six minutes, I beg you. A high place, a clear place you will encounter God's radiant truth. You will feel the story of the transfiguration and you will see its light shine from your own heart where Jesus resides today.